Welcome to Crosstown Cardboard, a sports card podcast with two collectors from opposite sides of New York City. Craig and Carmine share sports card stories from the perspective of a teacher and broadcaster. This is Crosstown Cardboard. Welcome to episode 21, a cheers, Craig, and our guest, Ryan, for making it to the drinking age on Crosstown Cardboard, our weekly podcast. And, uh, oh, we forgot to take a sip. Hold on. Got to get parked for before our, we start. For our Spitting. episode 21, we're fully hydrated here on Crosstown Cardboard uh, with me at Carmine's Cards, the news and sports broadcaster originally from Westchester County, New York, now in Southern Oregon, and Craig, our math teacher and soccer coach at New York City Sports Cards, originally from on Long Island, now in New York City. And now that we've gotten the tough part out of the way, Craig, we would like to introduce our big-time guest that we have, continuing our Philly series. Yeah, so we got Ryan, a.k.a. Philly Cards 25, a.k.a. The Prince of the Philly hobby scene. Now Ryan, <laughs> now Ryan has become a friend of mine through the hobby. He had a podcast. I was actually on his podcast last year. Uh, he had it with his brother called Bro Cards, which was awesome. Definitely recommend going back and listening to some of those episodes. So we got a little home and home action now. But as you said, this is our Philly series, and there's nobody uh, I think of more when I think about Philadelphia and the card scene. Ryan is the first guy that comes to mind. So Ryan... Welcome aboard. I figured I'd start off with a softball. How does it feel to be the prince of the Philly hobby scene? Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider myself the prince, but I, I appreciate the kind words. Um, I would just say that I, I've probably been in like the Philly scene, like one of the longest on like social media. So hopefully, people like to think of me like that. And also, my name's Philly Cards Twenty Five. So hopefully, when they say like philly i'm one of the first guys they think of but obviously there's a bunch of other guys too but thank you for the great introduction i appreciate you guys for having me on of course yeah, so uh let's let's rehash craig just because we mentioned the philly series the other philly hopefuls who would only wish to be the prince of the philly card scene <laughs> no just kidding they, they might be the kings and the uh and the jesters who knows but uh we also had cousins collectibles on our boy Oz, the people's mailman, and Cousin Tony. And then before that, we had Samuel Evans, uh, also in the education scene, the vice principal in Philly, the sports card collector with all the vowels removed on uh, Instagram. So, Craig, what do we want to talk about here with uh, our guy Ryan to start off? So Ryan is a man of the people, I would say. You know, At 24 <laughs> years young, he's an OG to the hobby. So, Ryan, I'm going to have you talk a little bit about going to card shows as a kid um, and you're in cards full-time now so maybe a quick trip down memory lane where you started and where you're at right now as far as being in the hobby you're, you're a full-time yes. participant <laughs> yeah so um, my earliest memories were going to the card shop when I was younger and just getting like packs or like some of my favorite players like I remember getting or my grandpa getting like a Pat Burrell card and me making fun of him because it That's looked like bad. he had lipstick on and uh, just going to card shops opening packs over the years and then 2010 bowman came out and like bryce harper and steven strasberg were like the it thing in cards and i was down the shore in ocean city new jersey and uh, there was a little card shop like a block or two away from my buddy's house 
and I ended up ripping a few packs and pulled like a Starling Castro refractor uh, first Bowman Chrome Auto. And at the time, it was a pretty big card. It was like selling for a hundred bucks. And I wasn't really into cards yet, but I was like, damn, this is like interesting. And uh, that summer, I think I actually came back and one of my buddies was filming YouTube content, opening like a blaster box of cards. And uh, we ended up, he ended up making me a YouTube channel. My name was Mr. Mojo Man 1000 when I was in like seventh grade, I think. And uh, I just started making YouTube content from there, um, going to any show that I could. The first show that I really remember uh, going to and I was amazed by was the Valley Forge uh, Philly show. Still like my favorite show to this day. We got in a few weeks from now and uh, just setting up at shows, networking. When I was like 13 or 14, I offered like a dealer like 100 bucks to set up at a table and just like learning how to, I don't know. Uh, learning how to like kind of like structure a small business and build back customers and relationships and uh, building networks that you continue to grow over these years. Um, like starting social media at like 13 years old, I was able to build like networks where now if I travel to any state, I feel like I might know a few people and can link up with them or meet up. So that's kind of where it all started. Sorry, I kind of like rambled there, but I didn't really get in too in depth there. No, that's great. Um, I feel like you're an old soul. And I mean that in a good way. You know, you're you are you are living proof that you could be in your mid twenties in this hobby full time, but you're not in front of the camera all the time, right? You're not making the, all this YouTube content, but you do this full time. Correct me if I'm wrong there. So yeah, I yeah. know you work for MJ Pristine Sports. Pristine oh, MJ Sports. Pristine yeah. MJ Sports. Okay. Okay. Got this is order. actually a good story. Yeah. Oh, great. So sorry, I, I should have introduced like. this. No, it's all good. I want to know what it's like, you know, having a full-time job within the hobby and what you do with this company. Yeah. So um, actually, it's a funny story how me and Gary, uh, Pristine MJ, met. Um, I saw him at shows and sold him some stuff before, but Carson Wentz's MVP season, I picked up a Optic Hollow Auto BGS 1010 for like three or four hundred bucks. And he was interested. He was local in the area. He had the absolute, like, most incredible cards on his page. And he wanted to make a deal for it. And he was offering me, like, 1,200 value. So I ended up getting a Brady 9510 auto and, like, a few other cards and maybe some cash. And I was, like, a junior in high school at the time. And me and him just ended up uh, talking in, like, a Burger King parking lot where we met up for the deal. And that's where I thought he lived, like, in this other neighborhood. But it turns out he was just flipping a house in that neighborhood at the time. And we kind of kept in touch. I ended up buying a Kevin Durant Topps Chrome Refractor PSA 10 off of him. And I couldn't afford all of the cash at one time. So I paid him $200 every Friday for however many weeks it took to pay off. I think it was like an $1,800 or $2,000 card, a Durant Refractor 10 no, at the time. No interest on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that card was crazy. At the, I mean, that card peaked at like $50,000 this year wow. or last oh year. Oh, my gosh. I probably sold it for like 2400 or something stupid. But um, I guess he kind of just saw that I was like um, reliable and like would pay every week on time. And uh, he offered me a job and I was working at like a restaurant at the time. And he was like, I'll just match your wage uh, at first. And it was kind of like a prove it job. And um, he just we kind of started with grading submissions, Beckett, PSA, um, buying up all the new products. So Prism would come out. We'd be targeting certain guys, John Morant, Trey Young, centered Prism cards, cards that 
uh, on the corners look clean and that we could buy for five, ten dollars on eBay, grade for ten or fifteen dollars, and get a return of fifty to a hundred on some stuff. And uh, that's kind of where it all started, just buying and flipping. And um, we like prioritize like p using PWCC a lot, so that's like big for his buying and stuff. Obviously, like I've learned like the high end market from him, just seeing how he is like buying and selling based off of like i don't know certain times during the market like obviously right now we're in a down period i would say and we might continue to be in that or it might go up a little bit i mean it's hard to tell a lot of people are getting laid off right now but uh like you could just see how he maneuvers through certain markets and that's what i'm just trying to gain from him just knowledge yeah so ryan at 24 years old you're full-time in cards how do you feel about your decision to <laughs> do that, reflecting back on it when I'm sure you had a bunch of other avenues you could have gone down for a career or so far a career? I also yeah, I know you got, some hustle, you got some hustle in the works as well. <laughs> getting, getting his real estate on. Yeah, yeah, that's the biggest thing. So, I mean, being in cards full time, it's awesome. Um, I work for somebody nine to five and then I – and blessed enough to have my own LLC on the side where I can collect and operate as a business too. And, um, that's, that's like huge for me. And, um, sorry, I just completely lost my train of thought. Could we take me no, back no. to where we are? No, that's okay. I mean, the cards are mystifying. <laughs> it's totally understandable. Yeah. I was just asking about how you feel about your decision now that you're 24. Okay. Sorry. To, this to decision gave me anxiety. That's why, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's not like something that you can like talk about to like parents or your friends and they're like, that's awesome. Like, I hope you like kill it in that they're kind of like, wait, you can make money doing that. Um, so like every day I have like something in my back of my head, like, is this still a thing or am I going to have to move on to the next thing? And I've just been able to make it work over the past few years. Um, but this year I, uh, started taking my real estate courses and I'm trying to do that on the side. So I want to be able to flip properties or uh, buy up like duplexes and rent them out to people. So I want to do that on the side too, mix cards and real estate moving forward. And, uh, but yeah, just relying on cards has scared the crap out of me the last few years. So like just other sources of income, whether it's like feeding like a, a I mean, you have to like diversify whether it's a stock market or an IRA or real estate or something else. So just, not putting all your eggs in one basket and being prepared for the absolute worst case scenario. I'm telling you, this guy's an old soul. You're, uh, I feel like you know a lot for your age, but you, like uh, I, said, I think it's cause I talk too much and I ask a lot of questions. Like <laughs> if you're, if you're around me and that's one thing, like the cameras at the shows and stuff, I think it's awesome to bring content and stuff, but for me to be like my true self, like I, I can't be in front of a camera, like this zoom call, like I could be myself, but if me and you, and Carmine are talking in a room right now. I'm like a much different person. I'm much more animated and much more fun to be around. It like a camera only like catches like a glimpse of a person, I feel like. And it doesn't really like justify somebody that I feel like is like more animated in person. Yeah. I mean, okay. that, that, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Being somebody who my whole job is being in front of the camera on the news, you know, trying to make it as natural as possible. So you know, I, I, I agree with you 100% there. I mean, I, and I mean, Craig is in a different environment, too, where you're up in front of kids trying to make it 
you know, trying to be as much of yourself as you can in an unnatural environment. But that's pretty cool that you that you have made these connections to where it's it's, you know, facilitated your hobby growth. What if somebody's trying to get into the scene, Ryan, and what would you say to them about the best way or some of the different ways to make these natural connections with people that you can then call your friends later on? Just keep showing up to shows. Like, I think that's the best way. Like, uh, if I see you the first time at a show and we make a deal, like, that's dope. And we chat it up a little bit. Like, I, I might not be, like, ready to go out to dinner with you and be best <laughs> friends and add you to the group chat. But, like, if you keep showing up and you're around and you can just talk sports, like, I don't know. Like, I don't really have a problem with anybody. I don't really have beef in the card industry. It's not really my my thing. I mean... Um, it would be fun to be in a beef in the card industry, but like putting airing beef <laughs> out there, it's just like a boxing match would be fun. Like, I don't oh, know. Yeah. I'm waiting. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's just the, the online beef stuff isn't for me. It's, ne- it's negativity, right? We ain't, we ain't got time for that. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody always says this to me. It's like uh, when somebody's like stare, like looking at a distance and seeing two people argue, like they can't really tell who the idiot is. They both kind of look stupid. Fair. So, so Ryan, you go to a lot of shows. I, I mean, I remember I saw you set up at national. So that's kind of, that's a big time event to be set up at. I saw you just a couple weekends ago in New Jersey, but obviously your home base is Philly. So I am curious. And I always ask people this who set up at various shows, what makes, the Philly card scene unique as opposed to think, going to a show in New York or New Jersey or on the West coast. Like how would you describe what it's like to be a Philly collector or to be at a Philly show? I think the Philly card scene is up and coming. I think it's like the newer breed of collectors where New York is kind of like down to business, usually taxing on their cards. Um, the same person to tell me that. Yeah. New York, New York, they add the taxes the state taxes onto their cards there. And uh, I don't know. It just seems like, like Philly, it just seems like more of like a newer card scene, I would say. Um, I feel like all of, a lot of the Instagram accounts have come out in the last like few years where like some of these OGs have been around like 10, 15, 20 years. Like a lot of the big collectors in New York or out in California or, but uh, I think just the PA card scene in general is, is, is going to like glow up as a whole. Um, I don't know. I just think I see I, like the last Fishdown card show, there was 1,200 people in attendance for the show. The first time I was ever there, it was at the Fillmore in Philly where they do concerts and stuff. And there was probably like a total of like 50 or 75 people the whole weekend. So it's like, I don't know if attendance is going up that much and every every kid in school is collecting cards. I feel like the industry as a whole is just going to continue to grow. Maybe not from a money perspective because the money needs to flow in over time and there's too much supply right now and the money needs to catch up. But like these these kids that collect now that are in high school or middle school are going to keep growing up. And like, what are they going to spend their money on? Are they going to put their money in the stock market? Like, I, I don't, I don't see that many kids that like love, love the stock market. I'd rather see like, they'd rather play with like tangible assets, like, and be able to flip them instead of buying stock into Berkshire Hathaway and watching it go up a few percent every year. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Warren Buffett and uh, <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska. And the, and the <laughs> in there. 
So Ryan, I'm curious. I don't want to get too personal, you know, because we're just meeting. We we're not ready to go out to dinner, like you said just yet. But as far as your expenses, are you living on your own, or are you living with parents, or what's the situation there? Because I'm curious if you're living on your own, how much that card scene, and I know you're working on your realty deal, can actually sustain you. Yeah, so I have two roommates. Um, I call them mother and father. Um, I still live at home. Yeah. Okay. I, I I like living at home. It's awesome. It's cool to come home to food and a nice bedroom and the cool living room where I don't have to pay rent necessarily yet. And uh, instead of renting, I'd like to buy before I move out. So that's like the biggest thing for me. Um, I could have moved out a few years ago if I wanted to rent, but the goal really at this point is to buy. And as soon as I get my real estate license, hopefully I'll be able to do that whole transaction by myself. So we'll see how that goes. That's, that's huge. That's big time to, uh, be living at home. And I've heard that too, Craig. And I don't know if you have either some of the people who I've met at, uh, the recent card shows at the Burbank show, which by the way, will plug the, uh, vlog, the part two vlog that just came out if you haven't seen that yet uh, and part one that was pretty fun just showing my journey at Burbank but the people who I've met Burbank show San Francisco card show even in Portland and I've heard a similar story so shout out to those parents who are allowing their 20 something kids to pursue this card dream or you know just see what happens with cards while they're living at home and they don't have to worry about, okay, if this card thing doesn't work out, how am I going to get my rent paid? Yeah. I mean, it's been a while for me to like just be able to sell my parents on doing cards full time because they're my parents are old school. They're My mom is 65 and my dad is 62. I could be off there. I'm not good with ages, apparently. <laughs> um but they're older. They had me like later in life. So I feel like they're, they're, they're like boomers. So like they raised me like old school and that's just who they are. Ah, get, listen, get your hustle on, right? It's worked for you up until this point. You obviously uh, <laughs> you have a lot of knowledge, so keep at it. Um, I want to touch on, because when I was on Ryan and his brother's podcast, bro cards, that was early, early stages in the wolf pack. And they brought up the wolf pack. Maybe in a little bit of a, a tease type of way, but also sincere. Because, like, <laughs> let's be honest, it's it's completely corny, but we embrace yeah. that. Yes. Having said that, Ryan, I am fully aware that you have your wolf pack in this oh. house. Oh, I know. People, people tend to say that, you know. People say that they travel in, like, packs or something. I'm like, nah. I mean, I, I, saw you, I saw you with a couple homies uh, a few weekends ago, but... I know uh, there's a, there's a meatball in there, right? There's uh, there's Koch's cards. There's the dime box guy, and I see you guys operating together. I see. Shout out to Matt's B-ball cards too. Nick SP, all the all the guys in the PA card scene. Shout out crew, to all right? Of them. But you know, yeah. I see you reposting each other's cards, and we're obviously very big on in this podcast and our crew, our Wolfpack, our relationships. Talk about your Wolfpack. I'm gonna make you use that word. So talk about your <laughs> Wolfpack, kind of like. How you guys operate as a crew? We're not the Wolfpack. We're we're called the City Boys. So City Boys. let's get that out there. <laughs> there City Boys. That's a sweet um, name. City Boys up, right? I appreciate it. Um, so it's funny. Everything kind of started like one person at a time. First, uh, I set up at a show with Matt. I knew him for a few years prior to that. Shout out Matt's B-Ball cards. He set up with me at the Philly card scene. Then it's funny. Me and Meatball actually knew each other. I was one of my first high schools 
parties I ever went to, I met Meatball when he was a sophomore and I was a freshman. He went to this Catholic school near me and I was at the public school and I met him there. And then a few years later, we end up uh, seeing each other at a show and he's collecting. And uh, then fast forward to during COVID, he's in Dallas for the Dallas card show. And he's like, what do I have to do to set up with you at the Philly show? And we ended up closing a deal and uh, he worked his way into table space from there. And then I forget, I think Koch, uh, Koch might've came along and he was kind of like newer to cards, but he would just sit at the booth and kind of just put out a few cards at a time. And then, uh, dimes came in with the dime boxes, obviously. Um, (laughs) and then we just all started setting up at shows together and traveling. So like we went to Boston, um, we would, we would all go to like separate trips, but mostly mostly like local stuff. But anytime one of us gets a table, it's kind of just like we're all going to split it. And like I don't really look at it as like competition because like it's it, it kind of is competition because we all have very similar stuff and similar tastes in our cards. But like if anything, when you're around people that like um, that are like doing good and also know what they're doing, it's only going to like elevate your skill. So like I just feel like like growing in the hobby with like these guys uh where i've been in like different like friend groups in the hobby that haven't been as good or tight uh but like i feel like like communication is good and we're all kind of on the same page where we're not like the craziest like party type we're kind of just like there to get our shit done and then do whatever like after like but like we have a good time while we're doing it we're never there's never like a dull moment with us see carmon i told you this show might be pg-13 <laughs> yeah yeah we uh it's okay we accept any and all language as long did as i curse uh, i that's just like part of it's me all good. Uh, oh city, that's okay city boy city boys up yeah i mean you um, gotta the city I wanna, that's another reason i was not meant for like the the corporate world i don't think i could like hold back on my language too long uh, you're good and, i do want to i want to shout out koch koch's cards because when i set up at the new york city show about a year ago it was when we had a huge blizzard Half the vendors didn't show up. Probably a fraction of the people showed up. This guy, Koch, comes all the way in from Philly. Um, I remember we made a deal. I think I traded him a Hank Aaron jersey autograph. And in exchange, I got a Beckham, Ronaldo, Ibrahimovic sticker and a Andre Iguodala exquisite patch auto. We, I, we Card people, we got weird memories like that. But shout out to Koch. Koch really is out here. He, he yeah. travels to every show. I, I respect the hustle. So now we're getting into the cards a little bit like just the exact pieces of cardboard itself. So I'm interested, Ryan, with you, you know, you mentioned starting out with uh, pristine MJ, your guy, when you were in high school, he started to put you on the payroll. You guys started looking for cards that were potentially gradable, looking to buy those, grade them, make margins on that. What are you buying right now as far as types of cards or types of players? And has that changed recently? Yeah, I mean, 100% over like the last year, two years. I mean, it was just about like quantity of cards and like how much you could get and whatever. Where now I'm like more patient and the biggest blessing of like just having like a regular nine to five job to cover expenses is when I buy a card, I'm not forced to sell it the next week. Um, so I, I have, yeah, I have like, I don't even know how to put it that I feel like that's like a good place to be where like, if I want to pick up like a LeBron card and say it dips in two months, I'm not forced to sell it where I can hold it for another year. And until it hits like the margin I want, 
I can get off of it. But obviously, you have to take losses on on cards, cards that I bought two years ago at absolute peak that went down to 33% or whatever. But like on the flip side, cards like did the opposite. So it all balances in the end. Do you, I know you're hoarding every Giannis flawless patch in existence. No, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking that. about. Yeah. See, I think of it as a good way. Maybe someone hears that who wants to sell you a flawless patch. Anyway, anyway, point is, as someone who's been in this for a while, do you look at any, you're obviously, you know, you're setting up a show as you're selling stuff, but do you have anything in your collection other than, I will mention it again, cards that you look at as investments where you're thinking, you know, I've been in this hobby for 15, 20 years. I plan to be in it for another 15, 20 years, and I'm going to hold on to it for a long, long time. And yeah, so feel free to share a couple if you want. Yeah, so one of my favorite cards uh, I picked up a few years back. Probably could have sold it for a huge bag. It's come down a bunch, but I, I, it's one of those cards I don't plan on selling anytime soon. Don't have kids. Don't have a lot of expenses at the moment. Uh, 03 SB Authentic LeBron Rookie Auto uh, out of 500 BGS9. Uh, I picked that up a few years back. It was way out of my price range at the time. And uh, I got on like some kind of like loan program with pwcc that they don't do anymore and got it paid yeah. off for like six or eight months so wow. um yeah it was it was lucky and then uh i love Giannis that you mentioned uh i like the 2020 flawless patches i don't have a bunch of them but if you guys do have any i'd like to pick up a few so let me know it's the vertical flawless patch 2020 any parallel yeah, works um and then I, I love LeBron stuff in general. So I picked up a big LeBron recently that I haven't made like public or posted yet, but I'll let you guys in on it. It's uh, -oh. uh, Ultimate Collection. It's the Virtuoso set. So it's the patch autographs out of 10, and it's a BGS 9.5 away of LeBron. Um, so patch auto, Ultimate Collection. Um, 0.5 away, I might send in to Beckett for GCR, but that was one of my bigger pickups recently. And then... One of the guys I've been getting more into is Tiger Woods, actually. So I picked up my first rookie auto of him a few weeks ago. That's a nice red one in the back there. Is that out of 66? No, this is the one out of 274. Okay. All right. That one's nice. I want to get the SB Authentic, the vertical one of Tiger, the really expensive one. You know which yeah, one I'm talking the, about? The, the not red one, right? The full color. Out of 500, one. I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I've just been diversifying into like more rare stuff that only pops up maybe at auction three times a year instead of 50 times a year. And uh, just staying to like key players, Giannis, like I've been going into hockey a little, Wayne Gretzky, Ovechkin, Crosby, like any name that your grandma or your mom would recognize, I feel like is a good name to hold on to moving forward if it's the right card. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, because I do the same thing with my girlfriend. I'm like, you know, thinking of the household name and the, you know, breaking through sports and getting into that, that vernacular, the lexicon of just knowing words. this person in everyday life, like a household name, you know, like, I'm like, oh, you know, Hulk Hogan, right? She's like, oh yeah, Hulk Hogan. I'm like, well, what about Ric Flair? She's like, no, not Ric Flair. All right. So I'm like, All no, right, well. no matter who I talk to in the world, good or bad opinion, they know who LeBron James is. They know who Tiger Woods is. Okay. They yep. know who like they know who these guys are. So like like Steph Curry, like when is he ever in the media for anything negative? I don't think I've ever seen a bad article about that dude. 
Yeah. That's like an asset that I would like to move into, like moving forward. Like a, I have a, a nice, like flawless Steph Curry patch auto. I love that card. Like I'd, I'd rather grab a few more at the price point that they are now than sell at this point. Yeah. So Ryan, you're, you, you're really moving into rather than, I mean, it seems like you took a total 180 or correct me if I'm wrong from what you started off doing with the five and $10 cards on eBay raw submitting them, like you said, for 50 to a hundred. Now it sounds like you're into four and five figure cards for the most part. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I mean, if it feels weird, uh, times have definitely been a factor. Um, I think that if you were in the industry at all and you had some sort of money three years ago, you should be doing like pretty well now being able to like move into those bigger cards. Cause a lot of assets I feel like came down from that original price point. So now it's just about like, everything's like opening up around cards, like stuff that was selling for 50,000 might be selling for 20,000 and might sell for 15,000 the next month. So just being able to scoop up those assets and having the money and confidence to be able to do it. Because at first I would never even think about pulling the trigger on a $2,000 card, but working for somebody that does five, six figure deals and I've seen it firsthand or I've helped him orchestrate a deal like that just helps me in my own process of going to shows and spending $5,000 on a card and not losing sleep over that. So that it, it's a process. It takes a lot of time. Like even, even now it's not like fun, but like, like I'm, I wouldn't be afraid to pull the trigger on like a $500 card if I saw it like two minutes and I knew it was like a good auction win or like if I'm at a show I don't need to like price something out because I'm scanning eBay like 20 hours a week and I know what the comps are or know what this card should sell for about yeah I mean you've been doing this long enough you kind of got just trust your judgment yeah right that's the biggest thing so when you working for MJ Pristine, did I get the order right? Pristine MJ. Oh my gosh, Craig! He's just an MJ guy. You see the Fleer Jordan rookie behind him. He just MJ. He wants to put MJ first. Listen, I'm I, I'm used to the commutative property in algebra. You know, A plus B is the same thing as B plus A. Anyway, so dude, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> He's like five thousand dollars. He's like your algebra. I don't know, but five thousand. All I know is percentages, dude. One, one one math reference per episode, at least for me. But basically, what you're you're doing is you're buying i assume for pristine is i'm just going to say one word now so i don't mess it up <laughs> is uh buying in quantity right and you buy at x percentage and you're reselling on ebay auction houses or ebay instagram auction houses uh shows which we've been uh getting more active doing i got gary uh out doing more shows in the past year so we'll be set up at the show next week are you guys coming to philly i know you're not in where are you at? Like Utah or something? Oregon. Even fur- <laughs> even further west. <laughs> How's Oregon out there? It's good. It's good. The weather's great. It's not I'm not getting hit with the snow like you guys. Yeah. You, yeah, you probably little, don't yeah. have half as good as food as, as us though. No, that's true. And no no local show scene really, which is one of the saddest parts. We're lucky. No, we listen, right. We're very lucky where we are. Uh pretty much hit a show every weekend if we want. Dude, I know it's gonna be. It is. It is pretty sweet. We are. We are definitely blessed in the East Coast for sure. But we'll all be at national. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be there. And by the way, you mentioned me setting up at the national last year. Like I tried to set up every single year before that and never could. So last year was my first year ever. Ever. Listen, like since trying since. You're big I was time like now. fifteen. You're big time. Now. Yeah, that's all it is. But it wasn't even my booth. It was 
my boss's booth who couldn't set up at the show. So he gave it to me and I split it with like three other guys, but it was awesome. Can you uh, speak on national because not having any cell phone service or internet, or maybe you did, but what that experience was like as a dealer. Uh, I mean, it was brief for me. I mean, during, during some of the busy days, it was bad, but like, like that, I feel like that's an advantage for me. Like someone that's like scanning comps and looking at eBay all day or PWCC or using the all, like all app. Like if, like, if you know what you're talking about, that could be a huge advantage for you. And that, that's where I'd rather be honestly, than somebody looking at my card, figuring out what percentage they want to pay 75% and then offering me that on the spot. I'd rather just be like, what would you like? want to pay for this do you want this card in your collection or are you just trying to make like a, a quick buck like so if you're looking at like let's say a 2020 Giannis flawless vertical patch auto hypothetically speaking hypothetically there's no year. auto that year just the patch okay so wow. let's say just you know, the patch. You know your stuff <laughs> let's but say, let's say, let's, let's say you're looking at that and I don't feel any jealousy from Craig at all you're looking at that, Ryan. You see the last sale was, let's just throw a number out, two grand. Are you going to be, where Where are you going to look at to offer that person price-wise? Or how do you decide what, what you are looking to pay on that? So it depends what the card's for. So what I personally like to do is if I buy one card and I still feel like it's undervalued, I'd rather double up or triple up or grab as many of them as I can and then just be able to hold off until like I'm ready to move off of them. And then if you move one, then the next one should be able to sell for a little bit more. And then the next one should hopefully follow. So if it's a Giannis patch in that case scenario, and I already have a few of them and the market price is 2000 and I can't get it any cheaper than 2000, you won't take 1900. You won't take anything less. I might wait one more day and then I might just snap it just because I need that card for something certain. But if it's some a card that I want to flip in the next few weeks it's i'm not going to be able to pay market price especially if a comp hasn't come up since the players like overall market has dipped or whatever the case may be okay but that's interesting the rare the rarer the card and the least chance i'll be able to find it again probably the more that i'll pay in that case i'll overpay for certain stuff if it's like rare enough Gotcha. Okay. I, I mean, exactly. buying offline, I've always found is a nice way to go. It's especially on a rare card because that comp's not out there. Yeah. I mean, that's such an advantage if you're ever trying to turn it. But uh, I want to put you on the spot with a question here. Let's do it. So I always like to think when I, 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 I went to shows, I set up at shows when I was like 14, 15 uh, on Long Island. And I think about walking around those shows like, damn, I really should have been picking up these LeBron autographs when they were like $500. <laughs> So now I like to think 10 years down the line, what should I be picking up right now that 10 years down the line I'll be happy I did? So I'll revert the question to you. Think back 10 years ago, 2013-ish. You were young, 14, freshman in high school, probably still taking boxing lessons. What nah. do you wish you t- what do you wish you picked up more of then? And what do you think is a good thing or player or set to be picking up now that 10 years from now you'll be thinking, really glad I snagged some of those. So t- what 2013 me wanted to pick up? What you wish you would have if you can go back in time 10 years ago. Do I have the same budget as I did back then? Yeah. 
<laughs> all right so i'm thinking that christmas money birthday money all right uh i don't know i would probably pick up i feel like mike trout tops updates i'd probably just grab every single raw one because they were like five dollar bins and just grade every single one get them all psa 10s and then 2021 comes around and i sell them each for 5k <laughs> pretty good uh, pretty good percentage that's the only way I could ball out on my budget at 13 years old or 14. No, I mean, that, that's great like advice for someone who might be listening. I'm sure we don't have any too many kids that listen to this, but for someone, you know, you know, I shouldn't even say that. Adults too, maybe you're on a budget. Maybe you. Have uh, if to. you're if you're a kid, you have to build grading and flipping. That is the only like the biggest way for me where I've been able to make margins and move on to the next card like grading and flipping, buying cheap raw cards at a show or on eBay, sending them to PSA, getting your subs back, whether it's SGC or even Beckett, like just getting those margins. Even if you take a loss on one card, uh, another two cards you might profit on. So I, like, it's just worth the risk in my opinion. That's what I was going to ask you, Ryan, is how you've gotten from the single-digit cards to the five-digit cards that you're now at. And so it's the grading and the flipping that you're saying is mainly how you've gotten there. So when you're deciding, let's say in the modern, let's fast forward you back 10 more years to the present day, you're looking at cards. Let's say you're trying to build up, you know, and get to that higher level and level up like you were talking about. What, what type of card are you looking at that you would consider grading? And then what does that like PSA nine or PSA 10 have to go for, for you to make it worth it? to grade like how many multiples because i'm sure you're thinking about that with your percentages yeah you're a math guy yeah i mean psa was a bit cheaper when i was doing this like a lot more it was probably like 12 dollars a card at like the highest i had a eight dollars at one point before and um and honestly it's way tougher to do right now because the returns from what you're buying these cards on release versus what they grade at psa 10 when they're already high at release and then you get them back as a PSA 10, like your profit margins might not be that crazy, especially if the guy's not performing as well. So I don't know. I like to go back to like older stuff. Like I, I made a lot of um, money on like old tops, Chrome refractors and Bowman Chrome refractors. You just like look at the pop count online. And uh, if something's a low pop and it gets a PSA 10, say it's a pop two, you post it on eBay and you put in the description pop two, uh, there's probably a collector out there for that card and they're going to pay up for it because there's only two out there and is it, you just have to find like your own niche market. I'm usually not buying what everybody else is buying. I'm like usually like paying attention trying to find the complete opposite. Like, and uh, yeah. So like old tops, Chrome refractors, when people were buying like prism and stuff, I was like, would I rather have a silver card of Jarrett Culver or like a Paul Pierce tops, Chrome refractor numbered? Like, I feel like this is much more sustainable a year from now when I get my PSA sub back versus these no like Jarrett Culver, who's gonna know him in ten years? I'm sorry, sorry Jarrett Culver, if you're listening. <laughs> he is listening, so I'm not gonna be happy about that. So, but you're you're yeah. thinking, um, just so I could picture this in my head, like the mid two thousands tops Chrome Bowman Chrome type products. Just just rare stuff, stuff that people don't grade as much. Uh, that's like more like kind of like niche and like easier. Those are kind of like eBay cards, as, as mm -hmm. like people like to say, like stuff that's like low pop you can't really like market that as well at a card show but like on ebay you have a much bigger audience and somebody in china might want that card for their collection or 
anywhere overseas. So like, uh, like, I don't know. I think eBay is such a underutilized tool for like people our age and not like actually like taking in the card and what it is and like putting like just taking the extra step of putting the pop in your eBay title, like could go a long way in my opinion. Yeah, that's a great point. So Craig, what else, uh, as we're wrapping up here with our guy, uh, Ryan, who I also learned a lot from, I mean, I'm sitting here, I, I was taking down notes at some points, you know, uh, learning from somebody who's really on top of the card scene and at a level that I'm eventually looking to get to, you know, to, to get up higher, um, I mean, I see any... some bangers behind you. Yeah, yeah. No, I have, I have a few. I have a few uh, bullets in the chamber, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep, uh, keep going. But I, I have to ask, because um, you mentioned some of the, the current guys. What about? And you mentioned Paul Pierce too. But how do you feel about the like Hall of Fame market as far as like? Because I'm a big Larry Bird guy, Magic Johnson. Guys who are done playing, how are you seeing those guys moving? Or is it, or are you mostly going with current guys? No, I, I love uh, picking up old guys. Um, I'm a big boxing fan. So I actually collect vintage boxing. That's one of the like uh, pieces that like I just won't sell. I like Joe Lewis, Jack Johnson, Jack Dempsey, Rocky Marciano, Ali. Like I just lost an auto on PWCC of him. Um, but Fuck. Again, lost my train of thought. PG-13. Take me back to where I was because I was just thinking about this Ali. No, no, you I were lost. talking about the old guys. You don't mind buying the old guys, the retired uh, players. Not at all. Like, think about guys like Ted Williams who went to a war, came back, and won a Triple Crown Award. Or like Mickey Mantle, the stories you hear about him, or Hank Aaron, or Dr. J coming over from the ABA to the NBA. Uh, like, getting a card of Jackie Robinson, like, one of my goals is to get like a cut auto of Jackie Robinson. I think that's so cool like or even like an like a nice vintage card like i've been getting more equipped to the vintage baseball market recently just because of work and uh i love like the 1950 bowman set i think it's absolutely beautiful there's a nice ted williams up this week at auction on pwcc i was looking at but i just like the older guys are just like so much tougher and cooler I feel like then like these newer guys that like have all the money and have all the cars. Like when you hear about these guys that are like playing like 16 football games and like working like full time during the season, <laughs> like, like after the season or whatever, like, I don't know. I just feel like athletes aren't built the same as, as like they were once were like there, there's nobody today. That's like Ali, in my opinion. Like maybe maybe like LeBron or but like I think like Ali is like on a different like level than a lot of these guys. Did you see uh did you see the Ali that I picked up? Cassius Clay. Nineteen sixty Hemet's journal. The rookie. rookie that's a that's yeah. a rookie. I need to get one of those. Those are so those are interesting. Those are actually hand cut cards. Mm -hmm. So from a, from a Swedish uh, journal. Usually, yeah, you know, you know, you're they're usually you're super off centered, but uh, that's one of the cards that's on the bucket list. The PSA nine of that card actually just ended for 90,000 on PWCC, so that's a big time sale. And there's actually only 200 of those cards graded by PSA, which I found out checking that out today. And like, you just think about it like some of these mantle cards, like that mantle that's nine five, right? That sold for like $12 million. Like, how many of those mantles are graded by all those grading companies versus how many Muhammad Ali rookie cards are out there? And it's like, 
the price gap and like the supply, like I don't know. It doesn't make too much sense to me, but I guess boxing doesn't have as big of a appeal. I don't know. I have a I have it in a one point five and that is more than good enough for me. That works. The front, the front is beautiful too, which is the key. If you don't get one by then, Ryan, maybe I'll bring it to National. I'll let you hold it, take a picture with it if you want. We'll see. <laughs> I've been I've been really into like the 1909, uh, 1910, 1911, these boxing cards. Uh, I think they come out like cigarette packs, which is awesome. But I just love the look of them, the eye appeal. And like that's kind of my entry point into vintage is starting with the boxing and then realizing that like some of the boxing sets actually correlate like the 1948 Leaf set. Uh, there's a baseball, there's baseball and there's, I'm pretty sure there's basketball guys in the set. And that's like one of the biggest boxing sets. So I think that's like awesome to be able to like draw parallels to those. And 1951 is Rocky Marciano's rookie. And that's actually a tops ringside card. And if you think about it, 1952 is the first year or is it 1951 the first year of tops baseball Uh, or is it 52? 51 was Bowman mantle. So 52 tops. Yeah. 52 is top. So 1951 tops ring signed Rocky Marciano rookie. Like think about how cool that is. No one even thinks about that, but that's a tops card from 1951. And you could get like a PSA one for like $200 on eBay. Oh, wow. Well, look, we were were talking about modern cards and current guys this whole time. We got a vintage blast from the past with all these numbers and, this guy has a wealth of knowledge. I'll, I'll, you took the words right out of my mouth. We went from box. We went from uh, Paul Pierce refractors to LeBron rookie autos to the numerous <laughs> Giannis patches to boxing rookies. If you're a card geek, I mean, this is the episode for you. We touched on a little bit of everything. I feel I feel bad for them because like I I'm like a thinker that like loses my train of thought a bunch and it's kind of like all over the place at one time. So like they probably just think I'm like an absolute idiot after this episode. But I I hope it was bearable. I've been rusty. I've been off the pods for. I know you missed now. it. I know you miss it. I know you I, enjoyed recording. I miss it so much, dude. This is like uh, brought a little spark of energy back. So I Good. appreciate you guys having me on. Glad we could do it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I mean, I don't think I, I think everybody's going to be amazed by, <clears throat> especially at the very end there, with all your knowledge that you just dropped on these cards and the pop counts, and you you definitely uh, have a lot of things figured out. So we we appreciate. It. I I really enjoyed meeting you, and then we appreciated. Being able to share some of the food. Oh, I didn't meet you yet. I'll meet you in person. You owe me I dinner. Been, you you said that you'll take me out to dinner. <laughs> it depends. What I have to get a Giannis uh, patch in return, and then I'll give it to Craig. Well, oh, best best you could take me out to is probably like a Carmine's, right? Oh, oh nice, yeah. Nice, so we can nice. make that. I've never been. I've never been to a Carmine's personally. So we'll have well, to. We'll break bread at Carmine's. You got it. That sounds good to me. Awesome. Boom. All right, I think I think we hit everything we could. Uh, Ryan, hopefully I'll see you soon. Definitely in Chicago at National. I'm sure at an East Coast show before then. Dude, for real. Thank you guys for having me on. This is dope.